Uh, in talking to Justin, he said, hey, uh, we're going through Mark, the book of Mark in Bereans. And he said, you know what? You guys are going through Ephesians, I think, right now. Why don't you, why don't you give them something from Mark? I think it'll be a nice change of pace. So we're going to, I don't usually like to do this, but we're just going to drop in the middle of Mark. Mark chapter 5 will be our topic of study this evening. Mark chapter 5 verses 21 through 43 is what we will study this evening. And there's, there's too many verses going from 21 to 43 to read them all at once. So we'll just uh, read them as we go along in our study. Before we jump into our study, let's go ahead and pray and give this time to the Lord. Father, we are humbled before your holy presence. Lord, I, I worship you. I glorify you. I magnify you simply because you are worthy of it all, Lord. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our bowing down before you and acknowledging your holiness. There is nothing, no one like you. I pray that the fact that we are before you would be impressed on all of our hearts this evening. I pray that you would help us to worship you well as we study your word together this evening. Help us to undo ourselves of unnecessary thoughts, of distractions, to dedicate ourselves to studying your word and learning from your word and growing in your word and in our faith. I pray if perhaps there is someone here that is wrestling internally, that, that is not saved, I pray that you would break through that heart even this evening, Lord. And that person would turn from their sin and run to you. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I do have a presentation. You will be happy to know. If you know me from, from before, you know that I'm, I don't typically have presentations. I don't have a presentation for you guys tonight, but I do have a presentation for the study, so that's not very helpful for you. But hopefully you're able to follow along with me um, in your study. If you're taking notes, and I hope that you are, I will do my best to give you the points of the outline as we go along. And so by way of introduction, let me just say a few things because we are dropping into chapter 5 of Mark to give us a little context and to get us a little more familiar with our topic of study this evening, okay? By way of introduction, let me just say that our study this evening focuses on one central question. The question is not found in chapter 5. The question is found at the end of chapter 4. Turn a page or two back to chapter 4, verse 41 with me. And look at the question that is posed by the disciples, which is the foundation for our study tonight. Mark chapter 4, verse 41. They became very much afraid and said to one another, and here's the question, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And so the foundation for our study this evening is the question, 
who then is this? And to be a little more specific with you this evening, maybe a little more personal with you, who is Jesus to us? Who is Jesus to you this evening? Who is he? To borrow from Lewis, is he Lord? Is he a lunatic? Is he a liar? He's got to be one. He can't be all three. And let me just tell you, he is not just a good man that walked this earth. We'll see why in just a few moments. But who is Jesus to us? The answer to this question will dictate many things for you and I. How I answer the question, who is Jesus, will dictate how I lead my life here on earth. It dictates how I spend my time. It dictates what's important to me and what's not important to me. And most importantly, it dictates where I spend eternity. How I answer the question, who is Jesus, will dictate where and how I spend eternity. For several chapters now, Mark has been answering this question of who is Jesus? And you have to understand that Mark's objective here is two things. One, he wants to get to the point immediately. And so this word immediately is a favorite word of his as he moves through his book. He uses immediately quite a bit. And he is in a rush to get to the point which is Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God, is the point that Mark is trying to make. In chapters 2 and 3, he makes the case that Jesus is God by stating plainly that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And he does this by, by giving accounts of, of Jesus healing on the Sabbath, which was not allowed according to the Jewish leaders. In chapter 4, Jesus hops on a boat and goes over to Gadarene, and performs a miracle there. And so Mark's point in chapter 4 is that Jesus is even Lord over creation, over evil spirits. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is Lord over creation. And if we were to add a title to today's lesson, it is Jesus is Lord over sickness and over death also. That's the point of our study this, this evening so let's jump into our study, chapter 5, verses, verses 21 through 43. We'll, we'll start off with verses 21 through 24. Point number one in your outline, if you're taking notes today, uh, tonight, a desperate plea. A desperate plea, verses 21 through 24a. Read those verses with me. Beginning in verse 21, when Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd had gathered around him, and so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, and on seeing him, fell at his feet, and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well. And look at that first part of verse 24. And he went off with him. 
quite a few things are said here in these verses. And again, the first point in your outline is a, a desperate plea. And immediately you see that, that, that a man approaches him and is making a plea to Jesus. Just a few things by way of observation in verse 21, when Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side. What's going on is he's coming back to Galilee from the, the, the area of the Gadarenes. He, he has just performed the miracle where he uh, releases this demon or this legion of demons from this man who had been tormented for so long. And, and, and as a thank you, as a result of what the Gadarenes have, have seen before their very eyes, they ask Jesus to get out. They, they say, that was awesome, but can you please leave? They were terrified. They were so terrified of what their eyes had seen that, that they asked Jesus to leave. And so he gets back on the boat, and this is verse 21. He comes over to the other side. So he's coming from the area of the Gadarenes to back to Galilee. It's not a, it's not a long trip. It's, a, it's about six miles on a boat. He's crossing over. Verse 21 tells us that when he arrives on the shore, there's, the, the crowd is so staggering that he decides, I'm not, I'm not going to land. I'm just going to stay here. I'm just going to stay here on the water. And, and because the, the crowds were, it's hard to, to explain the, the number of people that are following Jesus, all with their personal need, all with their personal purpose and agenda for why they are there. They, there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people there. The moment he arrives, they are waiting, all with a personal request. Jesus, please heal X. Jesus, please heal my mother. Please heal. Everybody has a personal need. Some were genuinely there because they believed that he was God, but most of them were either curious or had a personal need that drove them to him. Verse 22 tells us that one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and on seeing him fell at his feet. This is interesting for several reasons. A synagogue official, let me just define what a synagogue official is so that we're, we all know what Jairus actually did. It, it was an important position. But please understand, Jairus is not a rabbi. He's not a teacher. He's a synagogue official. And, and what is a synagogue official? What did they do? Today, we would liken a synagogue official to an ops manager. I think that's really the, 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 the best analogy or example that I can give you. Some of you will grow up to become maybe ops managers in, in organizations. And, and ops managers are responsible for ensuring that the operation of a business continues as it's supposed to. And that's exactly what Jairus was responsible for. So Jairus, as a synagogue official, was responsible for things like the building maintenance of the synagogue itself, the security, the worship service order. Who's going to sing? Who's going to teach? Who's going to read verses from the Torah. This was all under the responsibility of Jairus. He was a synagogue official. And it's important, and Mark says that he's an official 
because it's important for us to understand that by, by him being a synagogue official, his position afforded him a certain amount of clout, a certain amount of importance. He wasn't, he wasn't just nobody. No, he was, he was a synagogue official. He, he rubbed shoulders with the rabbis. He, he was responsible for giving certain things to certain people. He, he was important. He was a somebody. And not only that, we'll see this in a little bit, but he had also influence and money. So here's an important man who's a synagogue official known by everybody around. And notice what he does in verse 2. He does what no Jewish man would ever do came up and on seeing him, him there in verse 22 is Jesus, he fell at his feet. That's, that's a big no-no. You don't, you don't do that. As a Jewish man, and especially a synagogue official, a man of importance, with influence, with money, you don't fall at anybody's feet. That's a sign of submission. It's a sign of weakness. And the moment he does this, the religious leaders that are part of this crowd know exactly what is going on. The moment Jairus falls at the feet of Jesus, he has just relinquished any influence, any power, anything he had, he just gave it up because he falls at the feet of Jesus. In an instant, he loses everything he's probably worked an entire lifetime to have and why would somebody do that? Why would somebody do that? Verse 23 tells us, he implored him, again Jesus, earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. You know, I've told you guys before in the past that, uh, and I'm, I'm, much older now, right? Like I, you guys consider me an old man at this point, but I don't feel like an old man at this point. But I know, I know that a few years ago I was not a father and now I am a father and perspective changes. And I can tell you, I can tell you that 99% of the time I would do anything for my three boys. Now there's 1% of the time where they're just acting dumb and I might just let anything happen to them. But 99% of the time, I'm going to be with Jairus. By the way, guys, I'm kidding. It's 100% of the time. As a father, something changes inside of you. And you don't understand it until you actually become a parent. You would lay down your life for somebody. It, it, it's amazing, and that's, that's, Jairus, in an instant, is willing to let go of any recognition, position, money, influence that he has. Why? Because his daughter is dying. His baby is dying. Notice, notice that word in verse 23, and he implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. That, that phrase there, death, is, is eschatos in the Greek. And, and eschatos is interesting. It's where we get that word eschatology from. It's last, utmost extreme. She's not just sick, guys. 
She doesn't, she doesn't have a case of the flu. She's not dying slowly. He is literally at the feet of Jesus, and he is saying, she's, she's at death's door, Jesus. And I'm, I'm coming before you, and I'm giving everything up that would be considered important to anybody and everybody because I believe that you can heal her. That's what's going on here. That is what's going on here. The love of a father takes him to come up to Jesus. The love of a father takes him to give everything up that he would consider near and dear to his heart. And that's impressive. But the most impressive thing here is that he falls at the feet of Jesus. And, and understand, please, this evening that that is not accidental. Mark doesn't say that he falls at the feet of Jesus because it's a good detail to add. Mark puts in here that Jairus falls at the feet of Jesus because the point that Mark has been making and is making here is that Jesus is not just some man. Jesus is God. Jesus is the only one that has the power to heal Jairus' daughter. That is the point that Mark is making. I'll just finish here very quickly. Verse 24, that, that uh, part A of verse 24, and he went off with him. It, it, it's, it's hard to express to you guys this evening why that is such an important phrase because it's so easy to read right past it. Verse 24a, and he went off with him. Jesus, right? And he went off with him. But you have to understand the thousands and thousands and thousands of people that all have a need, that are all clamoring for Jesus, that are all shouting at Jesus, grabbing and tugging at him so that he would give them his attention. And in the midst of that, he focuses in on Jairus. Now, to be sure, Jairus got the attention of Jesus. He got through the crowd, likely because of his position, because of his importance. But he's there, and, and Jesus could have said, I, I'm going to, you know what, Jairus? She's healed. Go back home. He had done that before. He's going to do that again. But he doesn't do that. He goes off with him. And it's just to underscore. I want you guys to, to really understand. It's to underscore the fact of, of a loving, kind God. That in the midst of our peril, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our need, what does God do? He, he goes with us. We're not promised that we're not going to go through hardship. No. In fact, it's quite the opposite. We, we are promised that if we follow Christ on this earth, we will likely go through added hardship. If they hated Christ, they will certainly hate us, Jesus says. Right? So I don't want to misguide you or misinform you mislead you to think that living a Christian life is going to cause some great life to be lived here on earth. 
The greatness, however, is that we are promised that in the midst of any trial, in the midst of any peril, in the midst of any pain, Christ goes with us. There is nothing else to be said. There is nothing greater than to have the God, creator of heaven and earth, to go with you through any trial. What an awesome, awesome portion of Scripture. So we move on from the first point there, which is a desperate plea, to our second point, a desperate touch. This is going to take us from 24b to 34. A desperate touch. Understand, please, that Mark is employing here something that he loves to employ. If you ever go through the book of Mark again, remember what I'm telling you. He loves to sandwich stories together. He loves to interrupt himself in thought by just automatically or, or randomly inserting another story. And he's going to sandwich this just like he does in so many other parts of his book. He starts off with Jairus, and he's going to end with Jairus. But in the middle, he's inserting a completely different story. And this is where it starts. Look at the second part of verse 24. And the large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. Verse 25. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately the flow of her blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately, you guys pick this up? It's a favorite word of his. Immediately, that's twice. Immediately. Verse 30, Jesus perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? Verse 31, and his disciples said to him, you see that the crowd is pressing in on you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Verse 24 starts off by introducing us to this interruption that is about to occur. That second part of verse 24, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. Just to just quickly paint a picture, this, this, this phrase there, pressing in on him. Imagine being surrounded by a large crowd. And I'm sure everybody here, at one point in, in your life, you've been surrounded. Maybe at a concert or at a game, at a sports game, you've been surrounded by a large crowd. But imagine the crowd that won't even let you walk. You don't have a path to move forward in. That's, that's the idea here. They were pressing in on him so that the crowd is closing in on this one individual who is Jesus. He can't move. It's, it's hard for him to move is the idea here. That's, that's how staggering 
the crowd is. And in that context, in that scene, where it's, it's hard for Jesus to even move, verse 25, a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. There's this woman that's introduced, and let me just contrast her to Jairus very quickly because I think it's important for us to pick up on some of these details that Mark is, is, is uh, offering here. He, he officially, Mark officially interrupts the story of Jairus and he introduces this woman and, and immediately you notice that the woman has no name. Jairus is important and influential and he's a synagogue official and he has a name. This woman has no name. Unlike Jairus, she has no clout, she has no position, she has no influence and no money to speak of. And by the way, any money she did have, she spent on doctors who didn't know what they were talking about and took all of her money anyway. And unlike Jairus, this woman's need had to do with her own body, not someone else's. Jairus comes to Jesus because of his daughter. This woman comes to Jesus because of her own issue. We're not told a whole bunch, and I'm not a doctor myself, guys. I think that's pretty obvious. I, I, I would mislead you if I try to explain what this actually was or why this was caused. Understand, please, that she had just basically been bleeding for 12 years. For 12 years, she had not stopped bleeding. She, she cannot stop. She has gone to doctor after doctor. She has gone to physician after physician, appointment after appointment. And, and we're actually told she, she became worse, not better. Interestingly, Luke, the physician, omits that part from his, from his gospel. He doesn't say that she had visited many physicians. He just says she didn't get better. Typical of a doctor. Um... But go with me really quick to Leviticus chapter 15 because I'll tell you why this detail is being added here and why it's important for us to understand. We know that she hasn't stopped bleeding for 12 years and that's, that's difficult enough to really imagine and to really grasp. But we don't have time to read all of uh, Leviticus. It, it, the verses, if you want to jot them down in your notes to refer to them later, Leviticus chapter 15 Verses 25 through 33. I'm just going to read for us verse 25 so that we get a sense of the spiritual component this lady is dealing with. The physical component is that she can't stop, she can't stop bleeding. But look at Leviticus 15:25. Now, if a woman has a discharge of her blood many days, not at the period of her menstrual impurity or if she has a discharge beyond that period, all the days of her impure discharge, she shall continue as though in her menstrual impurity, semicolon, she is unclean. That, that little part right there, she is unclean, underscores for us what this woman had lived like for 12 years. 
there were certain laws that, that dictated Jewish daily life. And one of them was uh, around, or several of them were around sickness. So lepers, for example, lepers were, were confined to a certain section of the country. And you were not to leave that area, that section, if you were a leper. The same is true for this woman. She was unclean. She was considered a leper, basically. She, she was unclean and should not be around anyone else. Because Jewish law, and this is covered in Leviticus 20, uh, 15, 25 through 33, Jewish law stated that if an unclean person touched anything or anyone, then that thing or that person then also became unclean. And so to avoid that, people that were unclean due to a sickness were confined to specific areas of the country and they could not leave. To leave meant that you were breaking law and depending on who was trying you, your punishment could be pretty severe, sometimes even death. So understand, please, that as Mark interrupts Jairus' story with this woman, this woman should not be anywhere near this crowd. She is unclean. She has no business there. And it's amazing to me. I would have loved to have been there to see but it's amazing to me that nobody is saying anything. The thousands and thousands of people and nobody is saying like, what is this unclean woman doing here? They were so preoccupied with their own need that they didn't even recognize her. They don't even recognize her going around. She's endured much. She's got this physical ailment that nobody has been able to cure and on top of that, she's got a, a, a spiritual affliction also. Guys, just imagine for a brief second, if, if, if this woman had children, 12 years, she hasn't been able to touch them. If, if she sees them, she can only see them from afar. If she was married, she, she hasn't been able to touch her husband in 12 years. I mean, think of the affliction that she is going through in addition to a condition that nobody can help her with. Nobody can help her with. A person in this type of situation should have no hope. And yet we're told that this woman does have a glimmer of hope. Look at verse 27. What is that glimmer of hope? After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. She had heard about Jesus. What was the glimmer of hope? She had heard about Jesus. And because she had heard about Jesus, and because she had this glimmer of hope, what does she do? She risks everything. Understand, please, that when, when we read in verse 27 that she touched his cloak, it's not, it's so easy to just read through the verse and think, oh, well, she touched him. She made him unclean at that very moment. She makes Jesus, as a person who is unclean, she makes Jesus unclean by 
touching his cloak. It's not just that she touched him. And it's in front of thousands and thousands and thousands. And the religious leaders who now hate Jesus and are starting to plan, how can we take him out, are watching this. And if they didn't notice an unclean woman moving around them to get to Jesus before, they certainly notice her now. She risks all that she has. All that she has, which isn't much by this time, but all that she has, all that she is, she risks. And why? Because she had heard of Jesus. You know, it's interesting. Verse 28 tells us what she was thinking. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I, I will get well. Let me just pause here very quickly. I, I, along that question, the foundational question for us tonight of who is Jesus, is another question. That, that bears mentioning, that is worthy to be asked. What do we think of Jesus? And I just want you to ask yourself that right now. In, in the middle of trials, in the middle of adversity, in the middle of hardship, what do you guys think of? What do you revert to immediately? I will confess to you here, standing before you, that this is a struggle. This is a struggle for me personally because I tend to depend on self. I, I tend to think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bust right through this situation. So as much as I challenge you tonight, I challenge myself. Our thought should immediately be this woman's thought. She had heard about Jesus and she goes directly to him. She goes to the only one she knew could actually heal what she had. Look at verse 29. Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. So these verses here, these verses starting in uh, 25 and going through 29 are the woman's purpose with Jesus. But, but the following verses, verses 30 through 34, are Jesus' purpose with the woman. See, she, she had a purpose. Her purpose was both physical and spiritual. She, she had an issue of blood that, that she was hoping Jesus would stop. She wanted to be free of... of all the struggle she had gone through for 12 years. What's, the, what's, the, what's Jesus' purpose with this woman? Look at verse 30. Immediately Jesus perceiving in him that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? Now this is one of the funniest parts of all of scripture, guys. And there's a lot of funny parts. If you guys think that God doesn't have a sense of humor... Read verses like this, and it is clear that God has a sense of humor. Because think about it. Jesus says, who touched me? 
in the middle of, he can't even, he doesn't even have a path. I mean, there are hundreds of people around that are touching him, bumping into him. And his disciples, you got to love these dummies, um, turn around and miss the sarcasm. Miss the fact that Jesus has a greater purpose. They should have known what he was asking, but they don't. And so look at the response. And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you? And you say, who touched me? You know, can you just imagine like when you're upset at your mom or your dad and they're sarcastic and you're like, I'm going through this and that's what you have to say. That's, that's what's going on here, right? Who touched me? Really? That's, that's what they're saying. I can just imagine Jesus, I, I don't know. I don't know that Jesus rolled his eyes ever, but if he ever did, this was one of those times where he rolled his eyes like, oh my gosh, man, there's not much hope for these guys. And they missed it. They missed it, but that, that, was, that was not really the point. Look at, look at 32 through 34. And he looked around to see the woman who had done this, but the woman fearing and trembling, aware of what, she, uh, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Now notice what he says here in verse 34. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed. There's a lot that could be said about these verses we just read, but I want you to understand one key piece that we find in verse 34. This woman's faith, the fact that she risked all she had, is rewarded when she touches Jesus' cloak. And power goes out from Jesus, and she is immediately healed. But in verse 34, we see Jesus' purpose with the woman really play out. And this is, this is how we see it. It's important for us to understand two key phrases here. The first phrase is, is the one that happens second, where he says, go in peace and be healed. That word there in the Greek is uagase, the, the healed. Go, go in peace and be healed. Uagase is the, is the Greek. It's a typical word that is used in the New Testament for when you're healed of a physical ailment. Physical ailment, you, you are healed. You're restored to health. It, it has a physical meaning in nature. But look at the first phrase that he uses in verse 34. Your faith has made you well. Well, in the Greek, is sodetso. That is not the word that the writers used for getting better. That is the word that was used for being saved from your sins. And I want you to understand the picture. The religious leaders are watching what is going on. They consider Jesus unclean now. And on top of that, to infuriate the religious leaders even more, Jesus says, your faith has made you well. In other words, your faith has saved you from your sins. He has just saved this woman. He healed her, but he saved her also from her sins. I'm going to finish here, verses 34 through... Uh, Ah, yeah, here we go. We're going to come back to uh, desperate hope. 
Desperate Hope, and we'll wrap up with these remaining verses, 35 through 43. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official, saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? That Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer, only believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. He came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion, people loudly weeping and wailing and entering in. He said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. They began laughing at him. But putting them all out, he took along with the child's father, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the little girl, the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old, and immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given to her to eat. We have just a, a few minutes left. But we, we can condense these verses into one central thing. Actually, two. Apparently, when you come back from the dead resurrected, you are hungry. Because... Jesus says, you should give her something to eat. That was fascinating to me. But in these verses that we read, what is, what is most fascinating is that if you read these verses, you tend to forget about Jairus and you get caught up in the woman's situation. And then Mark pulls you back into the situation of Jairus. But imagine Jairus as he's sitting there watching the interaction between Jesus and this woman. I, I, I can't. It's difficult for me to imagine because I think I, I would have wanted, as a father, I would have wanted to like physically grab him and, and take him to my situation. It was a desperate situation. His daughter was at death's door. And you come back, and she has now walked through death's door. It's done. It's over. There's, there's nothing else to say except there is. And it is that Jesus is God. Because not only did he heal this woman, but he resurrects this little girl. He brings her back from the dead and, and not in some random secluded portion of the country where no one saw and it's just word of mouth and in front of everyone around. Now, he kicks people out because they had no business being there in the first place, but the little girl is then seen by everyone when she goes outside. And so I, I end with this, guys. I don't know you personally. I don't know a lot of you. I don't know personally. Some of you I do. I, I don't know specifically your spiritual condition here tonight. It is my prayer that you love the Lord, that you are walking with him and, and that you are 
grabbing on as hard and tight as you can to the Lord. But, but if you are not, if you find yourself here tonight wrestling with God, wrestling with the idea of who Jesus is, can I really believe God's word? I want you to understand that tonight's lesson is a call to you to turn from your sin and run to Christ because he is Lord. And you might have affliction and you might have hardship and you are promised that he will be there through that affliction and hardship. We are also promised that this life is not our only life, that we will be resurrected into a new body and live with him in eternity. I, I, I beg of you that if you find yourself wrestling in between thoughts, that you turn from your doubt, that you turn from your sin. And like Jairus and like this woman, fall at the feet of Jesus because he is God. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for this time that we have together. And I do pray that you would impress on our hearts this lesson, Lord. I pray for the believer here tonight that they may be strengthened in their walk with you. And I, I pray for the unbeliever that they may turn from their way, Lord, and run to you. Pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.